Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that features two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you T.J. Newman, a one-time flight attendant whose first novel, Falling, became a publishing sensation and debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Her second and much-anticipated novel, Drowning, will be released on May 30th. T.J. is in conversation with Edgar-winning novelist Meg Gardner, whose best-selling thrillers have been translated into more than 20 languages. What does a former flight attendant talk about with a three-time Jeopardy! champion? It may include musical theater and exorcisms. Inspiration starts now. Hey, hi, TJ. Hi, Meg. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm 12 days out from publication as we record this today, so I'm a little, you know, full of coffee and, and light on sleep. But besides that, I'm doing great. Good. That's an exciting time. And I'm sure people who haven't written books and seen them get to the bookshelves kind of think, well, it must all just be fun and confetti and everything else at this point. And it's actually um, really busy, a heck of a lot of work. And like you said, sleeplessness, not just from uh, having to get everything ready, but uh, it's your baby and it's about to come into the world. So it's inevitably a little bit nerve wracking. I couldn't agree more, but it's, it's like you said, it's fun. It's, it's the, it's the fun kind of overwhelming, right? It's, it's no sleep and too much coffee and, and high stress, but it's all in the service of, you know, doing something you love. It is. And I mean, we're here. I really want to talk about drowning i've been i read it uh you sent me an advanced copy for which again thank you and i've been dying to like grab you by the lapels <laughs> for weeks now and have a chance to really get into this book because i legitimately just loved it to bits i mean it's um it's out of the gate it's just full bore adrenaline powerful, exciting, um, extensively researched, very, very thorough and feels extremely authentic as well as dramatic. So do you mind just talking me through where you got this idea and, and we can talk about how you put it together? I would love that. And, and, and that kind of praise from a writer like you means the world truly. So thank you for that. So where did this idea come from? <laughs> Drowning, the rescue of flight 1421. <laughs> yes, the drowning, the rescue of flight 1421. Should I give the elevator pitch also, just in Why case not? anybody's listening? <laughs> yeah, I'll give the elevator pitch first and then I can, uh, then it'll make sense when I say where the idea for this uh, came from. So uh, drowning tells the story of the rescue of flight 1421, a flight from Honolulu to San Francisco that crashes into the ocean six minutes after takeoff. The passengers immediately evacuate until an explosion forces those who didn't get out in time to close the doors. But it's too late. The plane floods and sinks with 12 people trapped inside, including a father and his 11-year-old daughter. Now, their only chance at survival lies with an elite rescue team on the surface led by her mother and his soon-to-be ex-wife. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's 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 the story. And and you know where the story came from is at work. I was a flight attendant for 10 years and uh my favorite route was New York to LA. That's the flight I took all the time, that red eye. Um and that's was the setting for my first book, Falling. For this one, Honolulu to San Francisco, um Hawaii layovers were pretty much my my second most favorite location to go to. So I did those red eyes quite a bit as well, coming back from Hawaii to the mainland. And one red eye, I was uh, standing in the forward galley, looking out, um, you know, the small porthole window in the door. I'm in the galley. I'm looking out that small porthole window and I'm looking out at nothing, right? Like pitch black void for hours in every direction for miles in every direction there is nothing out there but water and i just remember standing in that galley looking out that window and being suddenly so acutely aware of how isolated we were and so then, you know, as a, as a storyteller of my, you know, the wheels start turning in, in my head and I just immediately start thinking, you know, well, what if something went wrong right now? What if we went down? How would they find us? How would they get to us? How would they save us? How would we save ourselves? What could we do to protect ourselves? And then from there, it just, it just kept going. Well, it goes in great directions. Let me just say that. I'm trying desperately not to give any spoilers away because I hope all the listeners of this pod will be like thoroughly enjoying the book. But I, you nailed it. I mean, that's that's basically my comment on the book is you nailed it. And I mean, there have been fairly recently, there have been a couple of um, incidents of uh, flights, I think, two and actually two Hawaii have had a couple of uncontained engine failures uh, and not, did not crash, fortunately. I could see a little bits of uh, storylines that people will recognize, like the Miracle on the Hudson. And uh, there was, I think, a 777 that was nearly two, but it was like an, uh, an hour out of Honolulu and uh, an uh, engine essentially um, blew out. And if they'd been further away, it would have been a completely different story. And you've written that different story, but they're they're not so they're not so far away from Hawaii that it's absolutely devastating. They're not in the Mariana Trench or anything like that. They are between Oahu and Maui, which I thought was very crafty. That uh, so they can uh, the boat the uh, the boats on the surface are trying to find this uh, this jetliner that has that has sunk, fortunately um, straight down essentially. So it is. Uh, it is uh, facing up, and uh, it lands flat on the on the shelf between the islands. So it's not at crushing depth. This is not something like a initially anyway that uh, that a submarine would be like uh, crushed if it if uh, from the pressure of the water. So it's um, it's fortunate for the few passengers who are trapped there in a sense that uh, they have a little bit of time to try to figure out how to. Um, how to save themselves as other people are working to save them as well. So I don't know. I just want you to tell me all about this book because it made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me just like flip the pages so fast. And I'm a voracious reader, but um, not everything grabs me 
as tightly as this did. So. Oh, this music to my ears. And <laughs> really, you just... I'm not, I'm not shining you on. This is true. Thank you. And you know what? You just described like my thought process of how do, how do I write this book? How do I figure out what this, how do I make this story happen? Because I knew the concept. I knew the end result that I wanted, right? I wanted a plane underwater with people trapped inside, teetering on the edge of a cliff. That was a situation that I wanted to have happen. So then I basically took the end result and just reverse engineered it. Because you're right, there are factors. It's like, well, it has to be deep enough that it's a real challenge to get there and that it's a significant issue, but not so deep that you're at crush depth and that, you know, no one could survive that. It has to be, you know, early enough in the flight that uh, a ditching, which is an emergency landing on water in aviation terms, um, that a ditching would still be possible, similar to the Miracle on the Hudson. Um, but the Miracle on the Hudson, you know, everything went right. And exactly as you alluded, like, well, what if everything didn't go right? And I studied a lot of prior uh, aviation accidents and incidents um, to see, you know, what the conditions were that that ended up in that result. And, you know, brainstorming, well, what if something had changed? What if the weather for the Miracle on the Hudson wasn't perfect? What if they weren't, you know, if first responders weren't right there? What if, you know, just the what if, what if, what if, and then just tweaking different scenarios until I could get the situation that I wanted. That's why the book takes place uh, just outside of Honolulu, um, because, you know, in my research and in finding, you know, like, well, where is somewhere that has a relatively shallow ocean shelf just outside of a city? And, you know, through the magic of Google, I can find, ah, Penguin Bank just outside of Honolulu in between, you know, Molokai, like, okay, there's my shelf that it could land on feasibly. So, you know, it was just like putting it together, like a puzzle like that, just knowing what my conditions were and then researching to figure out how I could make that come to pass. And I talked with a lot of, um, <laughs> I call them my phone pilot friends, a lot of my friends and, and former uh, pilot coworkers that I worked with who I would call up and say, you know, all right, here's what I'm trying to do. And this is the way that I think I can make this happen. If this happens, then that would happen. And this would be the end result, correct? And then they would be able to guide me and say either, you know, correct or no, actually this would happen. So you would have to tweak it to this. And so I would work with them to figure out what the conditions would need to be to get the result that I wanted. And it should comfort people also to know that it was really difficult to figure out how to make this set of circumstances uh, possible. It really, you know, airplanes, they want to fly yeah. and pilots want to keep them in the air. It is there. It is such a safe industry with so many layers of safety redundancies. You know, you, you, you said at the top, you know, several incidents that you, you mentioned um, that all ended well, because that is the industry. The industry is um, 
layer upon layer upon layer of of safety redundancies so you know when you're when you're working in the world of fiction like i am it's a real challenge to figure out you know where is the little hole that if i can make the perfect storm this could actually happen well that's what thrillers are about you've got to, they're they're about that perfect the perfect storm there was a thriller a nonfiction thriller called exactly that i think but um i mean it's that's what we love, I think, as authors is to try to figure out, you know, what is what has now become a seemingly everyday um, event that, you know, how many hundreds of millions of flights are people fly uh, monthly uh, and how and it's so, so almost I want to say mindlessly safe because I, I, I I'm a frequent flyer and it, it, I'm never really ever worried about about uh, about anything but how do you as a thriller writer you look at that and you've got to say um how can i make it go horribly awry i mean that's what we do for a living <laughs> exactly exactly and it's so funny someone asked me the other day like you know i'm no longer flying as a flight attendant mm -hmm. i'm you know i only travel on airplanes as a passenger now and they said you know does it change your the way that you fly on a flight. And I said, Oh yeah. Cause now when I sit down on a seat, I'm not reading a book. I'm not watching a movie. I'm not taking a nap. I'm looking around for ideas. <laughs> Cause I, I used to be in that environment every day. And now it's only, you know, every once in a while when I take a flight. So now I'm, I'm eyes open, you know, ears open going, Oh yeah. Then that could go wrong. Then this could go wrong and, and figuring out, you know, where, where's the story here? Yeah, no, it's fun. That's, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have uh, friends or relatives or acquaintances just, you know, I say, how do you come up with this, these things? You know, I, I, I knew you as a child. You seem so normal. Where did you where did you go wrong? And I just thought, no, this is my life is very normal. It's just maybe my imagination likes to go into places that will um, scare others. <laughs> Exactly. You do this great thing on Twitter that I love. It's like every single day you put your like uh, crime headline of the day. And it's always some like crazy story of like, you know, man overturns bagel truck in attempt to, you know, whatever, some crazy criminal thing. And I and I love that because every day I see that and I'm always like, I know me and Meg and, and all the other cr crime writers here on, on Twitter are looking at this going, Okay, but how can I make this into a story? Exactly. And do I do I put it up there if it's really story worthy? That's another thing. I mean, oh, well, I'm yeah, I'm sure you edit out and don't you don't you don't put the good stuff out there for us to see. You you keep the good ones to yourself as you should. Yeah, I mean, the crime headline of the day, it's meant I mean, we we spend a lot of time thinking about life and death issues on the page. Um so the crime headline of the day, it's basically nobody ever really gets hurt. I mean, that's the kind of crimes that I look for. I mean, the other yesterday it was something like um, man trades places with dog to try to get out of DUI. Um, after he's pulled, I mean, that kind of thing. He put his dog behind the steering wheel and sat in the passenger seat. Yeah, good one. That's literally the adult version of the dog ate my homework. Yes. <laughs> so, so you had this idea um, and that that's... I mean, this is your second book, and it's a big idea. You've had two great big ideas for your for your two books this this far, which is always really exciting. And I think for um, for a thriller author, you've you've got to come up with with an idea. And these are just uh, like right hit you in the face, um, great ideas. I mean, falling. Uh, your first novel. I was driving with my son, and I said, "He said, what's that book, Mom?" It was like 
on the dashboard or something. And I said, well, it's falling. It's like, because what's it about? And I said, well, the pilot uh, sits down in the cockpit and gets a text saying, uh, take off. And then if you don't crash this plane, uh, your family's going to die. And he's he, like, his head just like swiveled around, like, like, like he was in the exorcist or something and his mouth dropped open. He's like, I want to read that. So, so it's, I mean, that's another great idea. And it, they're, they're simple and they're powerful. And because they grab you in the gut um, and they grab you in the heart. And that's what I think really makes them so successful. You could have written just a techno thriller and this is a solid God damn great techno thriller. So we want to talk about the research there, but but it's got so much more. If you didn't have us caring about the characters, the 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 passenger, the the the, the flight attendants, the 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 first officer who has to take over, the 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 mom, the divers, the coast guard, we wouldn't. The book would just, uh, you know, we could set it aside, and we can't do that. So. Can you- that was something that I, I discovered very early on in the writing process of this book. It's like when I started out writing this book, I had, again, I had the concept, right? Plain, people trapped inside, underwater, teetering on the edge of a cliff. That's what I thought this, the book was going to be about. And almost immediately after I started writing, it became very clear that that was just the setup. You know, it's like, that's, that's just a setup. That is not what this book is about at all. This book is a survival story. It's a rescue story. It's a story about love and hope and resilience and the links that we will go to, to protect the people that we love. And it seems so obvious now in hindsight, but I didn't realize it when I started writing, but you know, a reader's not going to be interested in 300 pages of nonstop explosions and fire and, you know, raise, rising water and, and lack of air. Like that setup is the constant hum in the background, but the story has to be about character. It has to be about the 12 people that are trapped inside that plane and all of the people on the surface who are desperate to save them. And so I knew that that had to be what this story is. That's, that's, ju- that's just what it had to be. And so I front loaded the setup in the very beginning of the book. Um, the first several chapters um, are just boom. You know, in, in the first sentence of the book, you know, our protagonist looks out the window of the aircraft and sees the engine explode. That's the first sentence. It's like from jump, this is a problem. This is the scenario. Here's the setup. It all happens in the first handful of chapters. And then you can go from there, deep diving, huh, pun intended, uh, into these um, into these characters and, and into the beating heart of this story, which is about, you know, what we would do to protect our family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You mentioned your call pilot friend. And by the way, I, I, you did say Molokai. I said Maui, I think, because I'm desperate to get back to Maui uh, earlier. <laughs> but yes, it's between, it's between Oahu and Molokai. Uh, the plane goes down. And you had to uh, know the geology of uh, that portion of the mid-Pacific, North Pacific. You needed, of course, to know um, 
uh, all the aeronautics. You needed to know how uh, the flight crew would react. You needed to know uh, how the Coast Guard is structured there and how they would arrange, uh, try to arrange a rescue. And then you've got this amazing uh, group of people who are not only divers, but they do um, underwater welding and all that, which is extraordinarily dangerous and a real, uh, a real profession. And tell me how you learned all about that. And then tell me about why you made the, um, the head of that team a woman. It would have been very easy to flip it the other way, but please tell me, go tell me how you settle on all that. You know, um, to that second point, something that was really kind of fun to um, explore with this, which was this idea of the damsel in distress being the husband, being the father, <laughs> and that the knight in shining armor is the mother, <laughs> is the wife. Um, that was fun to play with. That was fun to explore. Um, and also completely natural this is you know i now with both books it's um people comment often you know with falling and with drowning you know there's these strong female characters you know was it a deliberate choice to write these strong uh women who are you know the the center of these stories and it wasn't a deliberate choice it was it was write what you know Mm -hmm. you know these are these are the women i know these are the women in my life these are you know, this is my mom. This is my sister. These are the the mother figures that I know. These are my friends. This is the women that I know in this world. This is them. They will stop at nothing to protect their children. And I think that strong maternal energy is one of the strongest, you know, forces on this planet. There's nothing that will stop a mother from protecting their child. You're a mother. You know that. I know Mm -hmm. I'm preaching to the choir here. And, and I love um, diving into that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know you get it clearly. I get it. It's like the concept of the strong female protagonist. And I hope we're moving into a time when it's a little bit more nuanced and fully fleshed out. But what do we actually mean by that term, a strong woman? It doesn't mean, you know, uh, you got Jack Reacher with lipstick on. It's, um, it's what, what is it about, um, about these women that we regard as strong and it's not simply taking on traditionally masculine characteristics, like. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more in, in, in this story, you know, the driving force is her maternal instinct. Yes. She's using her, her skills and tools that she has as an underwater welder. Um, but but it is her as, as a woman and as a mother, that is the driving force of this book. And the same thing in my first book with, with Carrie, the mother in that story, she's at home. She's just at home with her kids when, when the incident in that book takes place. It's, it's, I couldn't agree with you more that it's, it's the women that I know, the strong women that I know are powerhouses and in, at work in a boardroom and they're also, you know, at home just like I said, I, I referenced my own mother and, you know, my mom was a flight attendant um, and, and she was home with us when she wasn't flying. And that is, 
that is a strength that I know. And it's, I couldn't agree with you more that that sort of nuanced um, exploration of what it means to be a quote, strong woman is something that I've really loved um, bringing to the world of action thrillers, Mm -hmm. because there's not um, a whole lot of, uh, of that sort of feminine energy, you know, that, that, that female lens looking at the world of action thrillers. Yeah. And I love it that, that you um, you proudly take possession of the term action thriller because that's what this is. And I can't tell you how much I love stories like this. I always have since I was a kid. Uh, loved action movies. Loved I loved all those disaster movies of the, <laughs> the 70s. I watched them. I made my kids watch them. My, my daughter said she wanted to grow up to be a disasterologist and solve all things like this because I made them watch like... <laughs> airplane and earthquake and the towering inferno stuff like that but there is something so raw and pure about a story like this where um, there's not some kind of massive conspiracy theory going on in the background it's not about people betraying each other it's about trying to work together against everybody in this book is doing their best you hit the nail on the head. The villain of this story is time and air. That is the villain. And yes, we have con- conflicting, you know, ideas of who's right and who's wrong and how to, you know, get done what needs to get done. But everyone's goal is the same. Mm-hmm. And every character in this book is working together to the same goal, which is to bring everyone home safe. Mm-hmm. It's a survival story. And the villain is time and air. And And I'm just like you. I grew up... And still, like, these are the books and movies I love, right? I'm these big, massive, epic, disaster, survival stories. That's what I love. I can't get enough of seeing, you know, everyday people in extraordinary circumstances working together to try to have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, again, you nailed it. So thank you. I really, and and literally, I mean, I get a lot of books to read, uh, you know, people send me send me their books and I enjoy them. This one, I was just really like, holy God, what? Blah. I mean, I was just like, this is this is what I've been missing for so long. It's it's it fills a niche in my in my dark little heart that I didn't know I'd been longing to. to I was hungry for again. So thank you. <laughs> I love that. And you know, that's, it's so funny. You say your dark little heart. It's like people say all the time there, um, Steve Hamilton, a friend of ours, another, another fellow crime writer. When I was, when my first book was coming out and we were talking about, you know, the genre that we, we write in the world that we write in, you know, of mysteries, thrillers, action thrillers, uh, noir crime. It's like dark little heart. Like these stories are dark. You're unsub. Like, I'm sorry. I lost, look, I don't, I lost so much sleep. Okay. I live alone. It's just me here. And I, I love it. You just said, thank you. I could tell that. And it's like, that's the best, best feedback to receive. Um, yeah, you ruined my sleep schedule for weeks oh, after I read that book. <laughs> yeah. See our dark little hearts come up with, you know, these, and these crazy plots, but then in real life, you know, we're just, that's what, and that's what Steve was telling me. He's like, 
absolute sick puppies coming up with the craziest plots and the darkest stuff. But then you meet us in real life and we're just, we're just an absolute joy, a real joy. We just get it all out on, on the page. And that's what was so fun about writing Drowning was that, yes, it was scary. Yes, it's intense. Yes, it's dark. Yes, there's a lot of, you know, um, peril and and death and and a lot of sort of the darkness there. But it's really a story about love and hope and survival. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun to dig into that idea of hope in those moments of, of, of extreme danger, you know, and I, I, I referenced all that you, you said, um, perfect storm was a big touch point for me reading, reading that book and, uh, Apollo 13, you know, when you think of Apollo 13, the movie and everything and the book, um, and everything that goes wrong with that, what you really remember is, you know, Tom Hanks with his thumb over the moon, right. thinking about his wife, right? Yeah. You you think of, you know, the little, his son, you know, saying, you know, when he has the line, was it the door? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I know I'm going to cry too, just thinking about it. It's like <laughs> those moments, that's the real stakes in a story like this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's about, it's about your little son asking, you know, was it the door mm-hmm. when something went wrong? And so it was really fun in this, in this book to kind of, um, try to inject a little color into my cold black heart. <laughs> oh, good. It's a little rainbow. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I've read Into Thin Air numerous times. Uh, this has that kind of sense of, of, of dread that you get uh, and visceral immediacy that I, you get reading that. But because you're the author and it's fiction, you know that you can, um, you can control the the outcome in a way that uh, that nonfiction can't, which means that you can both thrill and um, and horrify us uh, whenever you whenever it's appropriate. So I, as another author, I I am um, quite uh, appreciative of the skill that, with which you brought that to the page. <laughs> okay. I would have been wanting to talk to you about switching careers. We can go back to the book anytime you want, but, but switching careers. Cause I, you're, I'm another person that has moved from um, one arena to another more than once. So I think I always had hoped and dreamed that I would uh, eventually be a writer. And I, I think that you may have come a little bit later to, to, to finding that that was your passion than, than I did. But I think we both, took uh took some took some time to get here absolutely you know it's 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 been a dream my whole life i'm like you a voracious reader i've you know read and written stories my whole life but my first passion that i pursued was theater and i moved to new york to pursue that after i went to college uh to study musical theater and um since we're not discussing, you know, the next show that I'm in, you can uh, take a wild guess as to how well that uh, attempt went, uh, which is to say not well at all. It was a uh, nonstop failure. I, I um, yeah, I just failed miserably in New York and I left and moved. Uh, that was my first attempt at a career shift. You know, I moved back to Phoenix and moved back in with my parents and I'm doing the whole, you know, mid twenties, living in my parents' house in my childhood bedroom, sleeping in my twin bed, you know, going 
well, dang, what do I do now that I have a degree in musical theater and the musical theater community just told me I'm not good enough to do that? Um, what else can I do now? And so career shift number one was I got a job at Changing Hands, which is an indie bookstore up the street. Um, and that was the first time that that sort of uh, dream of being a writer became a concrete goal. Mm-hmm. You know, being surrounded by stories um, and people who love stories and also experiencing that world in a more private way where it was safe for me to start taking creative risks again privately. You know, I started writing at night in my bedroom, you know, and didn't tell anybody about it because I just gone through this massive public failure in New York. Like the last thing I'm going to do is is tell everyone, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still a creative person. I'm still dreaming. I'm still a storyteller. I know that I am. So now I'm going to try this. Like, no, no, no. You, you take that shame and you bottle it up and you, you, you work by yourself. I, I gotta um, tell you, I wish you'd stop talking about the shame and the failure. It's a, it's a, damn tough world out there and and going for it is a success in itself having the the courage and the the stubbornness and the guts just to get to put yourself out there to begin with I, I i could not agree with you more and especially now that you know 15 years later i'm actually on the other side and i actually got some of the things that i was working for, but I do think it's important to, to put that out there so that, you know, cause it's, it's, it's easy to look at the success oh, yeah. and think, well, that's it. Yeah. It must've always been like that. And, and the fact of the matter is, you know, it wasn't, it's, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm an overnight success of overnight is 15 years, you know, and that, that dogged determination to keep going in spite of the rejection and in spite of the, the, you know, the, the voices in your head and the voices externally that are saying, you know, you're not good enough to do this and you shouldn't do this and you should get a real job, you know, and you should buckle down and you should all these things that were told, those are real presences, you know, in that journey. And I do think it's important to let people know that it's like, Hey, I'm I'm not here just like drinking champagne, you know, you know, after, you know, a, 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 a short little road to get here. No, it was long. It was hard. It was uphill. It snowed. I was barefoot, you know, walking both way, you know, all the things we say, like it was, it was tough. And, and, and you, you know, you spoke of, of changing careers. Cause I know you pivoted you multiple times and, and it's just crazy to, I'll ask you, did you see yourself ending up here as a full-time writer? Because every day I pinch myself and go, am I really getting to be a full-time writer? Like it is, it is such a dream. Like it is a dream. And no, I, no, I didn't. And I don't want to mislead listeners into thinking that, that it, that it is easy. Um, I find your story really inspirational and sometimes I find my, my uh, good fortune very inspirational too. And sometimes people tell me, like, if I say, you know, like, don't give up, they're like, well, it's easy for you to say. That's, you know, that's just, that's just bullshit. You know, not everybody's going to make it. And there's no way to sugarcoat the fact that um, <laughs> theater and, uh, and, and publishing are both very tough industries. You know, it's kind of like if I, if I um, 
ran outside here today and said, Hey, I'm going to, I have a new goal. I'm going to, I'm going to be the, you know, starting forward for the San Antonio Spurs next year. Um, perhaps that might be uh, not that realistic. And I would have to say that that might be a stretch too far, but um, I think I'm just really, you know, got this cussed streak in me that was just determined uh, determined to get there. And part of that did also involve this, you know, a lot of setbacks and failure. I thought, you know, I'd been a, I'd been a lawyer, I'd practiced law and I had taught writing at the university of California. So I thought, Hey, I know all about writing. This is going to be an easy gig. I'm going to, and I, you know, I, I, uh, I read nothing, but you know, I read mysteries and thrillers and I watch every episode of the Rockford files and all these disaster movies. So how hard can it be? It's really damned hard. <laughs> you write your first, you, you write your first attempt at a novel and then you realize you have no plot and then you write your second attempt and um, you realize it's just uh, like this mass, this ball of string that's all tangled and makes no sense. Then you write your third and you think you've nailed it and you find out that it's um, actually still pretty weak. And then you figure out, okay, there is a bar and I'm not clearing it. And if I'm going to play in this stadium, then I have to I have to, I have to regard myself as, uh, you know, as a world-class athlete and, and train for it and learn more and figure out how to do it and how to clear that bar if I really want to get published. And that, once I really did that, then I, uh, I did the work, I think, to, to get me to, uh, uh, pass the starting line, but it, but it's, um, it is work. It's glorious work, but it's work. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's that's exactly right. And I think it's important, you know, at the top of that, you said something which is important, which is to acknowledge like, yeah, the odds are tough. The odds are real tough. And and it's an uphill battle trying to break into this industry. But somebody's got to do it. Exactly. Somebody's breaking in. Somebody's breaking in. So why not you? Exactly. Why is it not you? If you're, if you're willing to do the work, like you said, and, and it's work, you know, I wrote 30 some drafts of my first book. I was rejected 41 times before I got an agent, like, but it's that dogged determination that you were just describing for your journey that it's, you know, pair that, pair that hard work and determination with, you know, a good concept, a good story. And why not you? Exactly. And learning how that, that, that there, that there often is room, plenty of room for improvement, and you have to figure out how to how to make those improvements. Um, but you wrote um, an open letter uh, for Deadline Hollywood that talked about your <laughs> not giving up, and uh, talked about all of this. The, the line I that really struck me was you said you told yourself I didn't come this far just to come this far. Yeah, that became that became my my mantra. You know, every rejection that came in, every closed door, oh, I felt, and it was real tempting to just say, you know, maybe maybe they're right. Maybe all of these people that are telling me that this isn't um, this isn't the thing, maybe they're right, and I should listen to them as opposed to listening to myself, which is saying, no, this concept is good. You just need to find the right person because people will want to read this. I wanted to quit and give up the whole time, but every time I didn't come this far just to come this far. And that, you know, that, that piece that you just said, you know, the deadline Hollywood piece, boy, did people react in an incredible way to it. Like I was really blown away 
by the response to that piece. And, and people said, you know, I needed this. I needed this reminder that it's possible and that I should keep going and that I should keep doing this. And really, I wrote that letter because it was the letter that I needed after I left New York. When everything felt like, you know, it was never going to happen and that I should just give up and, and quit. I, I needed somebody to say, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you didn't get what you wanted. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Keep going. It is possible. It is possible. It's not going to be easy. No one said it's going to be easy, but it is, it is possible. And I, 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 it would be so easy for me not to be here now talking with you, not to be writing that Deadline Hollywood piece, not to have my dreams come true, not to have any of this happening. It would have been so easy to be in that position if I would have listened to the voices in my head that I wanted to listen to. But I just, you know, I didn't come this far just to come this far. And I, I really think that's a message that um, we all need reminders of time and again. Right. Oh, no, I, it's, it's extremely important. And you make the point that there, there are no guarantees, like there's no guarantees in life for anything, but that um, work and craft and persistence really, uh, really make a difference and they made a difference for you. And thank goodness that they have, because I'm so glad that you're here and you have this book, the, the new book, which everybody else is going to get to read real soon. And uh, it's wonderful. So I got to ask, are you working on anything else now other than other than sleeplessness and getting ready to, to launch the, the novel? <laughs> you know, for the next uh, 12 days or however long it was, not that I'm counting to, you know, the minute, um, but, you know, right now I'm focused on bringing drowning out into the world, but I am already deep into work on uh, my next book and I'm, I'm loving it. I really am. It's, it's, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm loving the fact that I'm getting to tell these big epic stories that have been rattling around in my brain for quite some time. And it is so fun to deal with the challenge of, um, making them make sense. You know, how do you, how do you take a a concept and sort of, you know, ideas of who a person is and and what a scene should be and then you know bring them into a cohesive story that's that's going to make sense to somebody else god it's fun it is fun and that's you also hit on something just now i think uh you know people always say where do you get your ideas i think ideas are everywhere it's the it's execution is hard and that's what makes a story that uh, anybody can come up with an idea but not everybody can come up with drowning Exactly. And you had said something earlier about, you know, it's like the concept, that's what I've been trying to do um, with all the stories that I have. It's like, how do you whittle it down into like the most basic story? Because that to me shows the strength of it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. this, there's this great um, story that I heard about um, Steven Spielberg talking to Michael Crichton about Jurassic Park. And they were talking about like, you know, the next book that he was was writing that Michael Crichton was writing and, and he was saying something and, 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 and Stephen was like, well, what is, uh, you know, what is, what's the book about? Like this type of thing. And Michael Crichton said to him, I'm bringing dinosaurs back. <laughs> and that's it. That's the entire setup. You know what I mean? Like in, I'm bringing dinosaurs back. And in that one abbreviated sentence, you've got more possibility and a bigger story than you could even imagine. 
And, and I think that, you know, trying to find those stories that exactly, you're exactly right. They come from anywhere. They come from everywhere. They come from a crime headline. They come from a chance encounter at a grocery store. They come from who knows that's the mysterious muse that just sort of whispers in your ear an idea. And if you're smart enough, you, you, you grab it and hold it and then figure out what it, what it, actually is. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Michael Crichton because I dearly, dearly missed Michael Crichton, but his ability to, to take a concept like that and make you as a reader feel like you were in completely safe hands and that you are going to be um, exhilarated by the story is really rare. And that's one reason I was so pleased to get hold of your book because it does nothing in the story feels awkward Every single moment feels like um, you know exactly what you're doing and and you are going to carry us along with you uh, right to the very last word. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. That, that, that means a lot to have that kind of, um, as a writer, to have that kind of trust from a reader means, um, means the world because, you know, that's the relationship. That's the most important relationship, right, between the reader and the writer and, and the... Um, the knot of respect between both look if a writer or if a reader is, you know, if they're willing to spend their resources with me, right. If they're going to buy my book, if they're going to take their time and spend it with me, with a story that I've written, boy, is that a privilege and an honor that I do not take lightly. That is, I do not take that for granted. And I do not take that lightly. Um, and, and I've worked as hard as I could to tell a story that would be respectful of that and appreciative of that not of respect that a reader would show to me and um and i'm exceptionally proud of this book and and i really love these characters and i rooted for these characters so hard which was such a fun experience coming off of writing something like falling which was just like I mean, your first book, I mean, you know, you, you've written a bunch of books. Like there's something about that first book. It's just, that's a relationship. And so I was a little, you know, uh, intimidated and, and scared going into this one, just knowing, you know, like, well, what's my relationship with these people going to be like? And almost in a weird way, it felt like a betrayal <laughs> to the characters that I'd created that it was like, you know. I'm leaving you behind. Goodbye. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for the story. Now they're interesting. So I'm going to go see what story they right. have to tell mm -hmm. me. Well, you know, it was, it was a, it was a weird transition, but um, boy, I just, I love these characters. I love this book. I'm so proud of it. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of the reception that it's gotten so far. And I'm so excited for people to read it. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about our other episodes. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment.